Isaiah chapter 42. We're going to read the first 12 verses of this chapter. We are going to comment this morning on the verses that we have been memorizing and try to answer then the question, why is it important that we memorize those verses? What message is there in those verses that particularly apply to my understanding of the gospel? But also there's a larger question, perhaps more uh, in tune with our daily walk. I might ask before we even read the scriptures, if you knew that the words that God spoke back before the world began, words that Psalm 119 verse 89 tells us are forever said. If you knew what God said regarding you, regarding your redemption, with regarding your eternal state with him forever, how would you then face your trials of today? If you knew... If you had an assurance that this was spoken about me long before creation, how would that affect you today? Or we might even ask the question, um, how will it affect the question, I wonder if I really ever will make it to heaven? How would those, that knowledge affect? That's what I want us to think about today. And I think we find the answer to that very plainly put in our text that we're taking. But as I mentioned, we're going to read the first 12 verses of Isaiah 42 as we prepare to think on this. May the Lord let us have ears that hear. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail, nor be discouraged, till he have set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. Thus saith God the Lord, that he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it and spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes to bring out the prisoner from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory will not I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing unto the Lord a new song, and his praise from the end of the earth, ye that go down to the sea, and all that is therein, the isles and the inhabitants thereof. 
Let the wilderness and the cities thereof lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar doth inhabit. Let the inhabitants of the rocks sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory unto the Lord and declare his praise in the islands. Amen. May God to our hearts for Jesus' sake. Again, we're taking verses 6 and 7 as our text today. We trust the Lord will bless us. Before we go further, let's just ask the Lord to meet with us. Father in heaven, now we would pray that thou wilt bless this word. We pray that thou will guide us in the word. Pray that you will encourage our hearts, that thou will cause our minds to understand, that thou will fan the faith that thou hast given, that thou will let the spirit of Christ that dwells in our hearts be the minister to us this very day. O oh God, we pray that thou will allow us to meet with thyself, allow us to learn. O oh God, allow us to love the Lord our God with our hearts even during this time as we consider what it is that you have that you have declared for us and that you have given of yourself to save us. Lord, I pray now that thou wouldst direct all things. O oh God, let this be a word in season for God be the preacher this day. Lord, we pray that thou will help help us to hear, help us to think. Oh God, help me as I would speak of Christ. Bless us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Again, my aim this morning for you all is that you will come to understand that the words that we have, verses that we're taking as our text are words that have been eternity past. That these his people. So I want us to think about this because I think when it will serve to be a mighty strengthening for your heart in this day that we find ourselves walking. So as I begin, I'm going to read with you two other sections of Scripture, short places in the Word of God. The first is from Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, if you wanted to follow along with me, you can certainly turn there. I'm going to start reading. About the very subject matter that we're to deal with shortly. Isaiah, excuse me, Isaiah, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. The scripture says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all blessings in heavenly places. Question, when was that? Well, he's doing it now. He has done it at Calvary, but when even was that before? Paul answers, According to as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy. I underscore that. And without blame before him in love. 
having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. There you have it. God in the course of eternity passed from before the foundation of the world for the sake of Jesus Christ and through the work of Jesus Christ has chosen us to be those who would know the benefits which Jesus would do. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 with me then. 1 Peter chapter 1. You have a similar statement made by another apostle. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18. You may have these verses memorized. They're good to memorize if you haven't. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18 says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who, uh, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Now the question that I would have to ask at this moment is why did I read those two scriptures? The reason is this. These two scriptures state with unmistakable words that God... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, world ever was, that the Lord Jesus would be a redeemer of his people, and that a people were chosen and given to him. Now, you couple these two readings that we just went through. Chapter 4, verse 12, where there is none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. John chapter 6, verse All that the Father giveth me shall come unto me, and him that cometh unto me I will no wise cast out. Romans chapter 8, verse Well established. And this truth we must understand is the foundation upon which all other Bible truth rests. Well, let me say again what these scriptures teach us. Our God established and decreed before the world ever was that there would be a work of redemption done. That work involved a covenant. What's a covenant? Well, a covenant is nothing more than an agreement. It has a very strong legal aspect to it. It is made by two or more parties. It is an agreement. The 
matter of redemption from the course of eternity past involved a covenant. Well, a covenant in what way? Well, it was a covenant between the Father and the Lord Jesus. That Christ would be slain as a sacrifice for sin. That's the words of 1 Peter. And on the basis of that work, those given to the Lord Jesus, the Father would both save and keep. Now, why are we thinking about this? What has that to do with the scripture that we read from Isaiah and the verses that we've been working on memorizing? Let me... The words of the everlasting covenant between the Father and the Son, stated in a very short way. If you understand these verses... You have an understanding of what was agreed to from eternity and what will without fail take place to save us all. And so you have answered the answer to the questions that we asked at the very start. How does this this affect me? How does this my daily walk? How does this actually affect my thinking? Or how does this help me when my emotions are tearing up, picking me up? Help me. How does this know, knowing that Christ was slain, as it were, before the foundation of the world, and the Father has covenanted unchangeably to save and keep those that were given to Christ, how does that help me? And how does understanding the particular points of our memory verses help us in our daily walk? Well, that's our, our subject. That's what we're hoping to think on this morning. And my proposition to you is simply this, that the everlasting covenant of redemption is explained in our text. The everlasting covenant, you want to know what the Father and the Son said? And I have three, excuse me, five things I'm going to point out to you that are up. I want us to think about now when I was a kid I would have thought part is just simply the legal the one who says the one who agrees the ones who are involved in this whole thing the parties who is it that's saying and who is it being who is being spoken of in our verses? Or in other words, who is speaking and who is being spoken to? So, the parties. Well, first, we are told in verse 6 that the first party is the Lord. I, the Lord. Who is that? Well, he describes who he is in the verses that both precede and particularly follow where we've just read as our text. It is the Lord God Almighty. It is the one that is sovereign over all things. It is the one that has created all things. It is the one who operates before the eyes of men and before the eyes of all heaven in power and holiness. He is the one that speaks the words. The word Lord there, if you look at your text, 
in your scripture, you would see that that is all capitalized. That is to indicate to us that the word Lord there is actually replacing that name by which he has made himself revealed to his people as the covenant God, that name being Jehovah. And every time you see that that word is presented in that format, with the capital letters there, you know that God is speaking of himself as the covenant-keeping God. So, whenever we read or hear of the will, the law, the purpose, or the pleasure of God, it is the will of God the Father that is before us. My mind immediately went to Exodus chapter 3, when the Lord reveals himself in a proper sense for the very first time, other than in the, in the book of Genesis, he speaks of himself, but he's never asked, who are you? What is your name? Who shall I say has sent me? Well, you know these words from Exodus chapter 3. I am that I am. Actually, the word I am in Hebrew is... The letters from which we take the word Jehovah. I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, The Lord, covenant God, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. I, the Lord, is simply a way in which the Lord offers to us his name as he presents it in Exodus chapter 3. It is the great I am. But let me just say this. I think that the glory that you see when the Lord reveals himself to Moses, either in this burning bush or later on as he reveals himself in Mount Sinai or the other mount, which is not particularly known for sure, where the Lord says that he hid Moses in the cleft of the rock and he passed by and Moses saw just the trailing parts of the Lord's glory and it so affected him that when Moses came down from the mount the people couldn't look at him because his face shone and they had to put a veil over him. suggestion to you is that the glory that was seen in those instances has no comparison to heaven's reaction or the glory that was seen in the time when this covenant was ratified. I would suggest I'm I'm speculating here, but I would have to think that heaven's orchestra and the choir of thousands upon thousands rejoiced at the ratification of the covenant. It was agreed on by Father and Son, and all of heaven knew redemption is now sure, for a word has been given. We'd never be able to understand that. In fact, we probably won't see anything like that until redemption's final work is done. Um, and all are safe home. And the Lamb says, now it's time to sit down. We're going to have a marriage supper. Then I think you're probably going to see heaven, well, can heaven explode with glory? I think
is the one in view here. I, the Lord. Well, who's the other party? All the scripture says is the. The. That's pretty unspecific. The. Who could be? Well, who. You say, I think I remember he was talking in verse 1 to his. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect. It describes him and tells what he will be, but he also says that he's talking, this is what is going to be your success. The servant of the Lord. The one who will have no lifting up the voice. The one who will not fail. The one who will surely set judgment in the earth. The one who is sent of God. Who is that one that is sent? Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 5, 6, and 7 says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Who's speaking that? Who's saying that? Who actually has the ability to say those words. It is the Lord Jesus. And him alone. Again John 6 and 39. And this is the Father's will which hath sent. That all which he hath given me I should lose nothing but should raise it up again at the last day. Christ is sent. He is the servant. He is the one spoken of here. I the Lord have called thee. Father and Son. So the point that is here to be seen is simply this. You have a moment in which the looking of the Father is to the face of the Son. And the looking of the face of the Son is to the Father. And here then between them, redemption is both declared and redemption is stamped as a certainty. I have called thee. The parties. It's important for us to understand that otherwise we don't have any idea of what we're talking about. This is between the Father and the Son and the Father refers to himself in the covenant term as he presents this call. Now, I want us secondly to think about what I'm calling the purity. Here is an essential point for you to understand. It says, I have called thee in righteousness. God, specifically by the choice of his own will, has inspired the prophet to put those two words in, and it is for us not only to take heed of, but to understand and to think about he has called Christ in righteousness. Simply put, the calling or the commissioning of the servant who will accomplish redemption is purposed, planned, and will be executed in perfect purity and holiness. Let me just say this.
Yes, but it was planned in righteousness. It was planned in purity and in holiness. So, I want you to think about this. There is no shade about what is agreed on here of anything but purity. And we might even say, and I'm going to point out first, purity and love. Love of the Father for the Son, love for the Son for the Father, and love for those who are in the Son. Pure. And I would suggest, just as a matter of a by the way, so to speak, here's the setting and an explanation for the words that Christ prays in John chapter 17. This purity, this holiness, all that's being spoken of here in Isaiah 42 has its echo in John chapter 17. When Christ is praying for the Father and he's praying for those that the Lord has given him. Verse 24 of John 17. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be, where, be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. And these have known that thou hast sent me. I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. The love that you're seeing here, the pure, the holy, the fullness of the love of God that transpires between Father and Son, even in this moment, includes you and me. And the Lord Jesus refers to that. The people which are given in the matter of this covenant. Father, I pray that you will love them, and I pray that you will keep them, and I pray that you will save them, that where I am, they or they will be. And of course, the Father's response to that is, in whom I am well pleased. Back to the question I asked you, your daily walk in your situation right now, you're under the light of what we're talking about right now. You know the under But my key point, the thing I want us to move on for, uh, to, there's a reason why I really want us to think about this. The key point is that at every point in the plan and the carrying out of our salvation, it was done with absolute holiness and purity. Does God say that all that he ever planned with regard to salvation was done in absolute pure holiness? The answer is yes. Where did he say that? In our text. Now, let's come to the application here. Let's see why. There was and never will be and has never been in the matter of election or dealing with sin its origins or its judgment that was not completely righteous and pure with father and son 
You know, some might want you to believe this. Make. Okay. Do you understand? Can you see where I'm hitting here? God says, I have called thee in righteousness. And you and I, in our understanding, our puny understanding of the ways of God, think about the matter of election and that God would call some to himself, save some, and then some not. You and I sit upon our puny little judgment seats and say, well, that's not fair. That's not right. There's something wrong with God. There's something wrong with the whole electing process. Some unrighteousness there. If God were righteous, no one would be lost. Hmm. I called the beginning from the time when the redemption was even conceived in the to the time that it was declared execution of it and all of it is marked by absolute purity, holiness, and righteousness. There is no unrighteousness in God. Psalm 145, verse 17, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. Well, God, you, we have a problem. Tap, 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 tap. We have here because you understand that if God is going to save from sin, he must have known about No, sir. No, sir. God's thoughts, his ways, all that has to do with his being is pure and holy and altogether righteous. If there is anything that's outside of that that you and I look at and say, well, that's ugly, that's bad, that's evil, it's all a product of those outside of our God. In fact, the Lord Jesus tells you right where all that stuff comes from, doesn't he? The devil was a liar from the beginning. And the father of it. Yeah. So my point, and I want you to understand this. Mark this down. This is a proof text of the greatest sort. When God, who is absolutely holy, pure, and without sin, plans, calls for, and performs any work, it is a work that is holy as he is holy. And the truth of God for an absolutely redemptive work puts to rest any notion that work is faulty. Our text says that the Lord Jesus was assigned and received the work of redemption in and with all the holiness and pure justice of God on it. In fact, when you think about it this way, um, when you think guarantee that the Lord Jesus is going to succeed from start to finish. <laughs> exactly. He shall not fail nor be discouraged. Exactly. Exactly. The Lord Jesus will not fail. Well, I want you to think with me then about the third thing, and this is the promise. The promise. And I say this is as plain as words can be. The Father assures the Lord Jesus 
in the giving of this redemptive commission. I have called thee in righteousness. He offers to him a promise of his involvement in this covenant work in three things. First, the father says, I'll hold thine hand. In other words, I will be with you. You could also say it this way. I will order your steps and will make sure that you are enabled to succeed in every single thing that you are led to do. Your words and your works will not fall to the ground. And beyond that, because I'm holding your hand, you're going to have the ongoing strengthening of your God. The promise of the Father to prove the purity and the power of this redemptive work that Christ is doing is going to be seen by the Father holding his hand. In other words, proving when the Lord Jesus says, I will be thou clean, he's clean. When the Lord Jesus says, uh, Lazarus come forth, he comes forth. The Lord stands behind the Lord Jesus in all things. Why? Because the commission, the work, is absolutely pure. He says also, second, that he will keep. He says, I will keep thee. In other words, preserve. I don't mean that this is the Lord saying that I'm, I'm uh, this possibility that I would ever let my son um, fall away from me. No. He is, there will be no There will be no overcoming of Christ by the world or the devil. The Lord Jesus says, I have overcome the world. <laughs> the gates of hell shall not prevail against his kingdom. Absolutely has to be. Father is going to keep Christ, and he's also going to keep what he has said to Christ as the effects and the rewards of his work. He's going to make them sure. I will hold thine hand, I will keep thee, and then third, I will give thee. The work of the Lord Jesus is not for himself alone. Here I said a moment ago, you are under the light of the covenant of God. And here's what the Father says, I will give thee. What I have said, what you have agreed to, happen. I will give thee as a covenant people. I will give thee for a covenant of yes. Here's the gospel. This is the gospel. This is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He was given John chapter 10, you know John chapter 10, the whole presenting of the Lord Jesus as the good shepherd. And the good shepherd, what? Gives his life for the sheep. He gives his life for the sheep that he might give to them eternal life. And by the way, no man's going to pluck them out of my Father's hand because he's keeping them. And just to make sure that you understand, I and my Father are one. Galatians chapter 1 verse 4 says he was given for the purpose of death. Who gave himself for our sins. 
that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Yes, he was given. So how do you and I respond to that? Well, I think the only thing we can say is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. He was given, yes, the promise. The promise, I'll hold thine hand, I will keep thee and give thee. That in this text, we also are faced with what I'm calling the problem. The problem why does the Lord Jesus even need to come and be given as a sacrifice to redeem his people? There's a terrible and unsolvable problem. And I say here is a disclosure described here in these verses uh, is not speaking or in the unfortunate. The words of verses 6 and 7 is not a statement of God's general benevolence to those who are, to use the words of the world, those that are down on their luck. The description that you and I read here in these verses is a statement that describes us all. This is what we are. And you might say, then, what is that? Okay. First, the first description is that we're blind He's come to open the eyes of the blind. Simply put, until you have the healing of your heart and the making alive of your soul by the Holy Spirit, you cannot see anything or understand anything spiritually in a right way. You cannot understand truth. You can only embrace the blackness of falsehood. You are blind. Hmm. And the statement of the young man in John chapter 9, I say, when we are saved, is a statement of us all. One thing I know, but now I see. Why? Because there one came and opened my eyes. He's going to open the eyes of those who cannot see, never will see, are hopeless, are blind from their birth. Also, a that we are prisoners. It says he's come to bring out the prisoners from the prison. In other words, whatever in whatever you are in captivity to, you are unable to get away from it. You are unable to free yourself. Your cell has no door. You are in a prison. Is inacceptable. You, there you sit. There's no way out. Ah. But the Lord Jesus says, but I am the door. Oh, there is a way. There is a way. There's a truth and there's a life. Yes, there is a way out of the prison. One comes and makes
And I say to you very plainly, any man that thinks he's going to get to God by any other way than faith in Christ is a blind prisoner. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 simply says, hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And I say the man that says he's a Christian without ever having come to Christ Third problem, them that sit in darkness. In other words, sitting in the old world with all its filth. You and I can't perceive of what the prison house referred to here in the Old Testament was like. Perhaps we can think of what it would be like to be in a dungeon in medieval days. Let me tell you, well, perhaps you can even think about put him into a prison. Do you understand that the prison house is a place of filth? It's a place of darkness. It's a place that is vile. But it's also a place that those in the darkness can't see it and are content to dwell in it. A place of filth. Simply put, sitting in the way of sin and unbelief is a terrible place. It's a filthy place. What's to be done? Well, there must be one to deliver. There must be one to lead us out. The last thing that I would present to you, and that's the product. There is something seen here as a result of the Lord Jesus coming to those that are in such a condition who face such problems spiritually. Well, the work of the Lord Jesus is to open and to bring. It sounds so simple. He must open that which is bound shut by blindness and bring into a place of singing those that sat in the mire of the prison. Doesn't that sound a little bit like Psalm 40? He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and establish my goings, and he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God, and many shall see it, and fear and trust in the Lord. Yeah, the Lord Jesus does that for those. Just out of the mire, clean, puts a song in their mouth. How did he do that? Well, he did that by taking all the filthiness to himself. He cleansed in his own blood. He opened our hearts and our eyes and our minds by the power of the Spirit of God that was, as we said in verse 1, the Spirit that was upon him. who now sit in Christ Jesus, as Paul said in our reading, to start our time. So I suggest to you this, coming back around to my initial thought, why is it that this is so important for us to understand, to memorize, to have ready thinking? Because it explains the foundation of the gospel.
it explains to us how it is that you do these things. I don't know that that's going to work because of what we read here. Before the foundation of the world, there was the covenant of God the Father with God the Son. It was ratified. It had these terms. Here's what's going to happen because of it. It was entirely pure and is unbreakable. Or as John 10 tells us, the word of God settled in heaven. This is the decree. I'm saying to you, what we have in these verses is your hearing what was said by God and the Father to the Son in the terms of His covenant in eternity past. Therefore, you can take your day, you can take your circumstance, you can take your own heart, you can take your feelings and you can lay them up against what happened in eternity. What's going to happen? And you can say, well, I am one who will now be loved as Christ pled for in John 17. I will also be one that's kept as Christ pled for in John chapter 17. That is my lot. Now, my day in which I live, well, maybe I need to rethink my day. Well, may the Lord allow his word to continue to minister to us for Jesus' sake. Father in heaven, now we would pray that you would the word of God. We pray that thou would allow it to be that which guides our hearts and minds even through this day, but beyond that. Oh God, let us rest. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.